A lot of times we don't really fully understand what grace really is. But grace is there for us, and, um, and the ultimate act of grace was given by Jesus Christ, laying down his life for us. And so what does that mean to us, and how do we uh, involve that in our life, and how do we look at that? Um, in our first week of The Road to Grace, uh, we talked about how God stoops. He is a God who stoops. Just like the woman caught in adultery, uh, Jesus uh, wasn't there to condemn her. Uh, he recognized her sin. He said, don't go and sin anymore, but I'm here as your advocate, not as your accuser. Where are your accusers? That's what Jesus said. And as he stooped down to the level of the woman, rode in the sand, big stones are dropping. And uh, so he's asking you today, where's your accusers? And some of you, your accuser is the person in the mirror. So stop accusing yourself and hearing yourself on the head with a big stone, a big rock, because Jesus came to the world to save you, not to condemn you. Yes, there's conviction. Conviction leads to repentance. Uh, condemnation leads to regret. There's therefore now no, no condemnation for those who are in Christ, and uh, you'll find that in Romans chapter 8. All right, so that was week one. Week two, we talked about how uh, God steps in whenever Saul was on his way to Damascus. He was about to do something, and he was intentional. He knew what he was going to do. He had done it before. He was persecuting Christians. He even signed off on Christians being killed. He was on his way to do, do, uh, to do the same thing uh, in Damascus to the Christians there. And uh, Jesus stepped in. God stepped in and said, no, 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 hold up. I'm going to prevent you from creating a big crime. A sort of pre-crime existed back then. And Jesus said, you know, th this is what you're doing, and it needs to stop. And so grace, a lot of times we think grace is there only after we do something wrong. But let me tell you something. Grace is also there when we're about to do something. When we're about to do something intentional, sometimes, many times, God steps in and he says, I, I don't, I, I'm going to save you by grace you, because what you're about to do is going to have major implications in your life and the life of others. And uh, sometimes God steps in and we don't even realize it. That's why you need to be attuned to what the Holy Spirit is telling you. And the more that you spend time with Jesus, the more you can hear that voice. And so, uh, so God steps in. God stoops. Last week, I love this from last week. We talked about how God sings God sings over us. There's only one part, uh, one area in the Bible where it talks about where God sings over us, and it's in, in the prophet of the book of Zephaniah. It's Zephaniah, in the middle of the Israelites, the, of the Hebrew nation, in the middle of them about to receive the wrath of God from them turning their back on him, and, and you read that, that short book, it, it talks about what God is going to do to them. It's not pretty. It's not good. But then he says, oh, but I still have a plan for you. I still love you. I sing over you. So God was there to, to share with the Hebrew nation, to share with them, look, I want to be your personal God. And, and it's the same word for you, that, se that simple little verse in Zephaniah. God is telling you, look, I know you've done some bad things. And, and, and I know we're working on a few of those things. But let me tell you something. I want to be your personal God. 
I want to be your present God. He talks about that in Zephaniah. I want to be present in your life. I want to be a powerful God whenever you're facing things in your life. Rely upon me. Come to me. I want to be that God. You know how many times we, we try to do things on our own with our own power? How, how does that go for us? That does not go well. That does not end well whenever we decide, hey, I'm going to conquer this on my own. I got this. That doesn't go well. God wants to be powerful in your life. And so he's saying, I want to be a, a personal God, a present God. I want to be powerful in your life. And, and he is a God that takes pleasure in you. All this is in that one verse, Zephaniah chapter 3. I want to be, take a, be a God who takes pleasure in you. I want to bring peace into your life, into your crazy world. And I want to perform a song for you. I want to sing over you. So God has a song for you. What is your song? What is your song? When does God sing over you? I shared last week, God sings over me many times when I'm in his word. And I feel like when I'm, when I'm reading a passage of scripture, it jumps out and it just, it just resonates in my heart and my soul. And it's almost like God is singing that over me. And some of those have turned into, turned into songs. Some of those have, have turned into songs as I have, as I have um, gone through different areas of my life. Several years ago, I was, uh, uh, just kind of went through some uh, things in my life, and, and on the way to work, I was a, I was a school teacher, and that verse uh, created me a clean heart, O oh God, that David wrote. It just kept uh, resonating in my heart, in my mind, and as I was going, driving to, to work, I just started singing, create in me. A clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit in me. It feels like that, that melody and that scripture, just God was singing that. So I started singing that song. And so God has a song for you. And many times you can find that song in scripture or uh, just in time of prayer. So God sings over us, and that is his grace, y'all. That is his grace, him singing over you, just like a mother singing over you. There's no better place for a child to be than in their mother's arms and her singing over them. What a great, precious place for that child to be. That is a precious place for you to be in your father's arms, him singing over you. But you have to position yourself to be in that place where God can sing over you. So this week, we talk about another attribute of grace that we will look at today. And um, this display of grace is found in one place uh, throughout Scripture. You know, God has given Jesus the name above all names, King of kings, Lord of lords, Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He is our mighty conqueror. He has all of these qualities Yet even with these qualities, Jesus does something shocking to his closest friends on the last night he was with them. He does something that shocks his disciples. He and his followers were in an upper room celebrating Passover, what is called the Last Supper of Christ. And it's there where he introduces the elements of the bread as his body and the wine or the cup as, as his blood representing those things. 
And as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And he goes on with that. But one thing that's interesting, when you read that passage, and we'll read it here in a second, in the book of John, when, when they go and they sit down in this room, no one washes the feet of the people in that room. You know, normally you would go to a person's house and there would always be someone who would wash your feet. Always be someone who would, who would wash your feet. You know, obviously, uh, they, didn't have, they didn't have tennis shoes. They didn't have boots back then. They, they had sandals, okay? So those, those Hebrew chacos, you know, that they were wearing, it, it, did, it protected them from stepping on things, but it didn't protect them from the dirt and the grime and everything, and it exposed their feet. Imagine if, if all you wore were sandals and, and if you had a fungus on your foot or a hangnail or something and just some gross stuff, you can't hide it. I mean, it's all out there in the open. And so they had sandals and it would get, their feet would get dirty all the time. And so you would have a servant that would come and wash the feet of the guests. Well, there was no hired servant on that evening. No hired servant, and guess what? No one stepping up to wash people's feet. So, no one, anyone? Bueller, Bueller, no one, no disciple stepped up. So, they gathered around this table and, and how they would do this, this table, they would sit on the floor like pillows and blankets and the, and the table wouldn't be this, this high. You know, we, we've seen pictures of the Last Supper and this, you know, gorgeous uh, painting of the disciples and Jesus. It, it was a lower table. They were on the floor. They were relaxing. And uh, they were there sitting there with their dirty, stinky feet next to the table. And so no one stepped up except for Jesus. So with a large bowl and a pitcher of water and a towel around his waist, Jesus shows that even his great name is not too good to serve. Jesus displays grace by serving people who really didn't deserve to receive this act. So even though he has a great name, He was like, you know, I have the name that is above every name, but I am going to serve, and I'm going to show them what grace looks like. So if you would turn to your passage in John chapter 13, if you have your Bibles, want to be at verse 1. If you don't have your God's, uh, God, copy of God's Word, we'll have it on the screen. We also have it on the YouVersion Bible app. You can uh, pull it up there and search under events for Lake Point Church. Uh, but before I, uh, we get re- reading in the scripture, I'm going to ask the Lord just to bless his word. We're going to stop. We're going to pray. We're going to ask God to bless what he has for us and God to speak to us this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, this word is living and it's active. We believe every single word that's in this book, that is in this set of books, And so because of that, because of our faith relies upon this word, we know, Lord, that this word is not just something that was for people long ago. It's for us today. 
And we're going to get in this. And we ask you, Lord, you speak to our hearts. And you show us, Lord, what this has for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to read in uh, verses uh, 1 through 5 and uh, here in chapter 13. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, he's talking about his disciples. He loved these people. He was with them for about three, three and a half years, and so he loved them. And supper being ended, the devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter. We'll stop there, verse five. So this right here is the scripture passage of what we were just, what we were just talking about. The story of how these disciples came and no one was there to, to wash uh, the, his feet. And, um, you know, it's amazing how, how feet can be something that people just don't like to think about, don't like to look at. You know, personally, I don't like a whole lot of people messing with my feet. I don't know about you. Now, I know, you know, some ladies get pedicures. If you're a man, you get a pedicure, you know, you do you, that's fine, you know. But, you know, I, I don't like people messing with my feet. Okay, I'm really ticklish at my feet, and I just, I, I don't wear sandals a lot. I like to wear shoes. I, I like to keep my feet covered, and um, I just like to protect my feet. And, but I tell you, we, we've had, I've had some issues in the past where, uh, you know, you go to a gym and you work out and you, you know, pick up, you know, some athlete's foot and it's, it's awful, it's bad, and then you want to keep it covered even more, and sometimes that makes it worse, the athlete's foot worse, but feet could really be awful. They could be really stinky, and they could be not so pretty to look at. You know, no one has glorified their feet. Like, for instance, I have on my desk at the church office pictures of my family and pictures of my wife. I don't have pictures of just their feet at my desk. I don't, I mean, I love everything about them, okay? I think my wife has cute feet. I think she has cute toes. But I don't put them on my desk, pictures of them on my desk. You know why? Because we don't glorify in the feet. No one thinks about them. And so what do we get from this passage uh, about the stinky, dirty feet that we can use in our life. Well, what are some grace takeaways? First of all, grace is unexpected. Grace is unexpected. The pastor said that Jesus got up from the middle of the, of the meal to wash feet. So imagine get up in the middle of the meal to do something. That's like someone in our house sitting down, starting to eat, and then you, they, they get up from the meal, and they go take a shower, and then they come back and sit down and finish their meal. That, that, would be, that would be awful. Now, sometimes we send the kid to bed because they just can't, 
you know, act right at the table, but, but we don't go and do something in the middle of the meal. And so Jesus gets up and he goes and he does something a little unexpected. And it's, and it's where grace does something in our life that many times we, uh, we, we are unexpected by that. It's like, wow, I wasn't anticipating that. I wasn't anticipating that. And that's how grace works. Some, before you know it, God will speak to your heart through his word or through prayer or through other people. And God will share his grace. And it's like, you'll be overwhelmed with this grace. It's like, wow, I wasn't expecting that. It's almost like when you go see a movie. And you're in a movie and, you, and, and unexpectedly you start crying. You start crying in the middle of this movie. And, and, and there may be some criers in here, and that's okay. In the middle of the movie, you might be crying. Now, might be some guys in here thinking, man, I never cry in a movie, Frank. I'm a man. I, you're not going to see me cry in a movie. So, I, I, and I get that. I understand. You know, I mean, it, maybe, you know, maybe, you, uh, maybe you didn't cry at the end of Toy Story 3 when Andy gave up his toys. Maybe you didn't cry at that. Maybe you didn't cry whenever... Whenever E.T. was, as he was saying goodbye, was saying, be good, try to do an E.T. voice. You know, maybe you didn't cry when Old Yeller died. If you didn't cry when Old Yeller died, you're not human. (laughs) But it's almost like when we go to a movie and something touches us unexpectedly, like, whoa, I wasn't expecting that. And all of a sudden, it overwhelms you. That's how grace is. This is what happens to the disciples. Their Savior, their Lord, got up from the table and did something unexpected to his disciples. They had never seen him do this before. Nowhere in Scripture do we see where Jesus washed feet. So grace is most often unexpected. And we need to understand that grace will Grace will surprise us. So grace is unexpected. We have unexpected grace. Okay? Man, I, went, I didn't think that was going to happen. I never saw that coming. Another thing we can learn about grace is that grace is unassuming. Grace is unassuming. We assume because of all we have done that God is not interested in us. That God is not interested in us. We just assume that. Well, why would God be interested in me? Why would God want to get up from his table? Why would Jesus want to get up from his table and wash my feet? He's God in the flesh. Why would he do that? We assume that he could care less about us. There's some friends of ours that uh, live in our neighborhood, and, um, and they have a, a couple of kids and uh, a daughter and a son, and the, um, and the oldest son is, was one of Madison's really, really good friends, as still is, um, and he graduated last year with Madison, and his name is John Cyphers, and John uh, went off to uh, play football at Mississippi State, and uh, he was a walk-on, was able to walk on to the team, and uh, he's a, he walked on to the, to the team as a kicker, and so he plays for Mississippi State, in fact, just this past weekend, 
um, uh, they, uh, at the spring game, he was actually on TV, and the mom was like, ah, oh. you know, I think he kicked, you know, at that game. But just last year, I remember he came uh, home to uh, visit his family. He came by the house, and he was telling this story um, about uh, Coach Mullen uh, there at Mississippi State. Uh, John was uh, at practice, and he was kicking several long field goals, and he was making every single one. He was splitting the uprights, and Coach Dan Mullen was on the sidelines, and he walked up to, walked up to John Cyphers, and he says, hey, buddy, I didn't call him by his name. I don't think he knows his name. Went up to him and said, hey, buddy, if you kick this next field goal between the uprights, I might think about learning your name. John's like, hey, I mean, I'm a walk-on. I might be able to play in a game. I mean, if he sees me, and, and, and he sees me split these uprights, he's going to know who I am. He's going to know my name, and we're going to be like best buds, you know? And so he sets the football on the tee. You know, he does his certain steps and marks it off, checks the wind, and he rears back and kicks a beautiful kick right to the left of the left upright. Missed it. And Coach Mullen just walked away and said, oh, maybe next time. (laughs) But it's like John wanted the coach to know his name. Don't we feel like that? Sometimes don't we feel like God is a God who comes to us and says, all right, if you get this right, I might, I might want to know your name. I might get to know you a little bit better if you do this right. Or if, or if, you, just, if you just stop doing this, I just, I just might get to know you a little bit more. I might show you some of my favor, some of my power, some of my grace. I got enough grace for all of your filth. But you got to do these other things first. You got to split the uprights. Y'all, that's that's not the gospel. That is not the gospel. First of all, God knows your name. And God does not require you to split the uprights and to do everything right in order to receive his grace. We assume sometimes that we have to live up to certain things in order to receive that grace. We assume that Jesus doesn't want anything to do with us. And and we also assume that since we're sitting at the table and our feet are dirty, that it's okay. Here's another thing we assume about that. That it's okay. The disciples, no one washed their feet. They sat around the table Dirty, stinky feet, and everybody's okay with it. Oh, no one's washing my feet. No one's washing anybody else's feet. Jesus' feet's dirty. No one washes his feet. Well, I think it's okay. We're okay with that. I think Jesus is okay with this. Let me tell you something. God is a God of grace, but it's not okay to have 
certain things in your life that linger on in your life. You've got to allow Jesus to wash you, to cleanse you. You can't do it yourself. You can't do it yourself. You've got to allow Jesus to wash you and to cleanse you. That filth in your life that you're letting linger around, it's time to allow God to clean that up. We assume that it's okay, but it's not. Just like the disciples. Oh, it's okay. Jesus said, no, it's not okay. He gets up and he washes the feet. So don't assume that God doesn't want to know who you are. Don't assume that God is watching and waiting for you to make a big mistake. And don't assume that he's too far and too mighty and too powerful to wash you with his grace. And don't assume that whatever's lingering around is okay with him. Bring your life to him, offer it to him. So we have an unexpected grace we see. Man, I wasn't anticipating that, never thought about that, that would happen. Wow, Jesus gets up. And, and we have an unassuming grace. Grace is unassuming. And then the last one I wanna talk about is an unpretentious grace, an unpretentious grace. Jesus didn't exclude a single follower. Though we wouldn't have failed him or faulted him had he bypassed Philip. Now, Philip was one of the disciples. And Philip, if you remember, was the one who, whenever Jesus uh, told the disciples to feed the 5,000 plus people, that Philip said, you're crazy, that's impossible. We can't do that. Philip was a doubter. What does Jesus do with doubters? He washes their feet. He washes their feet. Or maybe James and John, brothers fighting about where they could sit in the, in, in kingdom, in the kingdom of heaven. I want to sit on Jesus' right. I want to sit on Jesus' left. And, and they're trying to position themselves, and even the mom gets involved. You know, these are the first millennials. And so these, James and John, they were, they were jockeying for position, trying to, uh, trying to get into a position of power. So what, is, what does Jesus do to people who use his kingdom for personal gain? He washes their feet. When people use Jesus' kingdom for his, their personal gain, he washes their feet. And what about Peter? You know, Peter, if you remember, he was walking on the water and he quit. He got distracted. He quit. He quit focusing and keeping his eyes on Jesus. And, of course, this would happen after this, uh, this scene of the foot washing, but Jesus knew it was going to happen. He even predicted it. G, uh, Peter would deny Christ. What does Jesus do with people who deny him and even curse his name in front of people? He washes their feet. He washes their feet. A bunch of promise breakers in that room. Do you ever wonder what God does with promise breakers? 
He washes their feet. You ever broken a promise to God? You ever denied Christ? You ever sort of did some actions that spit in the face of God? What does God do with that? He washes your feet. He washes your feet. His grace is unpretentious. It's a grace that doesn't think too highly of itself, then it can't wash your dirty life. Jesus doesn't think too highly of himself to wash your dirty life. He's the holy God, and he wants to wash you clean. How do we know this? How do we know that Jesus doesn't think too highly of himself? Look no further than Judas. You know, I've read this passage this week, and, you know, we all knew with other gospels that, that Judas, that Judas was a part of the Last Supper, and that's where Jesus confronts Judas and uh, even later on in this chapter, Jesus confronts Judas and, and uh, he tells him, go do what you must do. And even in this chapter, it talks about how Satan even entered into Judas, into his, into his heart and caused him to betray Jesus. And this was already set in motion. But I never, ever realized until this week, blows my mind, I never realized this week. Did you know that Jesus washed the feet of Judas? Jesus washed the feet of Judas. The same man who would betray Jesus. The same man who would give him over to the chief priests to be flogged and beaten, and then to the Roman government to be crucified. What does Jesus do with betrayers? He washes their feet. He washes their feet. You know, this lying, conniving, greedy rat, Judas, who sold Jesus for a pocket of cash, Will Jesus wash his feet? Absolutely. But here's the deal. And here's where this hits home. If Jesus washes the feet of, of Judas, of his Judas, can I tell you something? He is telling you that you need to wash the feet of your Judas. Now, you could literally do that, I guess. But more importantly, you need to offer grace. That's what washing of the feet is. It's it's an act of grace. Your enemies, your Judas in your life, you need to pray for them. I know it's hard. You need to pray for them. You might even need to go visit with them and say, I forgive you, or ask them to, to forgive you. Whatever your Judas is, your betrayer, that good-for-nothing jerk in your life, the Jesus Judas 
walked away with 30 pieces of silver. Maybe your Judas walked away with your virginity, your security. Maybe your Judas walked away with your spouse, your job, maybe your childhood, your retirement, or your investments. Whatever that Judas is in your life, God is saying, I want you to wash the feet of your Judas. You know why? I did it. I did it. Frank, you want me to wash his feet and let him go? Sure. Most people don't want to do that. Most people use a picture of their Judas as a dartboard. Most people use their Judas as a way to just build up anger and talk and, and feed their, their, um, their gossip hunger and to talk about people. But you aren't like most people. If you are saved and bought with the blood of Jesus Christ, if you surrendered your life to him, then you are not like most people because grace has happened to you. God has washed your feet. Jesus has washed your feet. Look at your feet. Look at your feet. They're wet. They're wet with the grace of Jesus washing over you and your filth and all your ugliness and all your stinkiness. You have been washed and bought and you are cleansed. So now it's your turn to do the same thing to your Judas and wash their feet with unpretentious grace. Don't think you're too good. Don't think you're too good to go there. Jesus wasn't too good to go there. He's like, I'm gonna wash his feet and I know what he's about to do. So grace is unexpected. Grace is unassuming. And grace is unpretentious. But to experience God's saving grace, you need to position yourself to receive his grace. And this takes you setting aside your pride and your dignity. You know, I believe many people have stopped going to church because they're not willing to accept the grace of God. Because accepting the grace of God is laying down your pride, laying down your dignity, and saying, you know what? That is all me. I'm sorry. That is all me. Please forgive me. And then accepting the grace that God freely gives us. But we gotta lay down our pride. We have to lay down our dignity. So we have to have undignified grace. Undignified grace to accept what he has for us. You need to be willing to take your sandals off. You need to be willing to take your sandals off. You need to be willing for Jesus to look at the smelly, stinky, 
athlete foot, fungus, whatever, feet. You need to allow God to look into your heart of hearts and to see what's really there. You need to lay down your pride. You need to lay down your dignity. You can't come before God with full pride and full dignity. It's undignified grace. Just like that, just like feet. You can only hide the nasty things for so long before they are exposed. Soon they will be exposed. You can only hide them for so long. So next time you say ugly words to your spouse, or next time you have those adulterated fantasies, or next time you argue just to prove you're right, admit one thing, you need help. We all need help. Admit that you need a Savior to wash you with his grace. Because if you don't, the Bible says you'll have no part with him. Look at John chapter 13, same chapter, just a couple of verses. We're gonna close with this. Verses six through eight. Jesus came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? He's questioning him. Lord, you're gonna wash my feet? God, are, are you gonna, you're gonna save me by your grace? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what, you, what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Peter, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. God wants to wash your life. God wants to wash your feet. But it takes laying down your pride. And it takes understanding that we can't come to him, come to him dignified. We need to come to him with a humble heart. Because if not, we have no part with him. So what part of your life are you trying to hide? What part of your life are you setting aside and just trying to, trying to hide from the ugliness, from the sinkiness? Jesus is ready to do an unexpected thing in your life. But you have to position yourself for that. He's ready to have an unexpected grace because his grace is always assuming, unassuming. Don't think, don't assume that his grace is not good enough for you. Don't assume that your sin is lingering is okay. Don't assume that. Don't assume that God could care less about you, that he doesn't want to know your name. Don't assume that you've got to split the uprights and to do everything right to receive that grace. And don't assume that Jesus is so high and mighty that he could, he could care less about offering grace. That's quite the opposite. So I'm asking you, position yourself this week as we are going into Good Friday and Easter and we're celebrating the most incredible act of grace that's ever been shown and ever will be shown. Position yourself to receive God's grace and place yourself 
on the road to grace. This week, this week, let's prepare our hearts.